Independent Business Podcast is brought to you by HoneyBook, the all-in-one platform for anyone with clients. Book clients, manage projects, and get paid faster all with HoneyBook. You can use the code podcast to get 20% off your brand new account and let business flow your way. What does it really take to run a multi seven-figure business as a photographer and educator? Today on the podcast, I have the honor of chatting with a friend of mine and also one of the most world-renowned photographers in my lifetime, Caitlin James. She is a trailblazer, a trendsetter, and she has built a business that generates over $250,000 every single month. But we all know that's not the whole story. In this conversation, We pull back the curtain and we talk about what it truly takes to make that sort of revenue day in and day out. This episode, you don't want to miss. Hey everyone, this is your host, Natalie Frank, and you're listening to the Independent Business Podcast. More people than ever are working for themselves and building profitable businesses in the process. So on this show, I sit down with some of the most influential authors, entrepreneurs, and creators to break down the science of self-made success so that you can achieve it too. Caitlin, there was a CNBC article that recently came out, and I want to start us there because when I read the headline, it said something along the lines of, you know, this person side hustles four hours a day and makes, what, a quarter of a million dollars a month, $250,000 a month. Is that what it said? I think so. Something in that realm. Something crazy. And the minute I saw it, I was like, that's not, that's not the whole, that's not capturing the whole story. No. So no. I want to kind of just start there for a second and say, you, you've built something really beautiful. You've built mm-hmm. something re- really incredible that should be celebrated. What is it? What are we? What it, yes. I, first of all, that article was, I was so honored. Want to, to have something yeah. worthy of CNBC being like, yeah, we want to talk about that. That's crazy. But it was also the first time I had ever shared with the world mm. what my life was actually like. And it started with a headline that was all about the money. And, you know, that's what makes people click. And I get it. That's, you know, that's the industry they're in. Um, But what was maybe a misconception was that my story goes way far. We're talking 14 years back. And my entrepreneurial journey goes 14 years back. Actually, my entrepreneurial journey goes even further back than that. And so the time the tears, the heartache, the bad decisions, mm. the unhealthy seasons in our marriage when my workaholism just took over, none of that played out into that story. So you're seeing literally the most shiny, impressive part of me, almost minimizing mm. what it took to create it. And and I'm not mad at them. I mean, I did a podcast episode um, of my own talking about the realities of, you know, just that wasn't truly a good representation of me. So entrepreneurs, business owners will hear something like, you know, you're making almost a quarter of a million a month. And immediately we know that's not profit. That's revenue. To even hit a number like that, you know, there must be a lot of ads. You're running, there's paid spend, there's employees, you're paying their health insurance. Yes. None of that is foreign to us. We know that. Right. But you know, an article goes out and the reporter wants the juicy bits that's going to get the average person to click and think, how is this mom making that much money four hours a day? I want to do it right now, this moment. She must have started right now, this moment. Surely that's it. it, Surely it was like a, 
Yeah. Yeah. Found the thing, sold the thing, made the money. But what was the first entrepreneurial dollar you ever made? Where did this truly begin? What were the humble beginnings <laughs> of this seven-figure business? Where yes. did it start? So the first business was Caitlin's Crafts. Caitlin's Crafts with two Ks. That's very important because that's when I really started getting creative with whole, the whole marketing thing. Like, how could I have a cool name, not just a boring name? Right. So Caitlin's Crafts with two Ks. I bought a dish from Walmart, 40 cents, painted it, sold it at craft stores, and made like 40 bucks off of it. And that honestly was, it was nothing financially impressive, but I watched people buy something that I created right. and that I came up with, you know, I sketched ideas and then I painted them. And then I watched, it was like my first experience thinking through, um, themes, collections, even like I was really into this <laughs> and I just realized like I could get paid for things I could create that blows my mind. So what's crazy is that the EIN number of that business that was bringing in a thousand dollars a year, <laughs> just enough to have to pay taxes. Right, is the same EIN number. I just transferred it to Caitlin James Photography that now spends a thousand dollars a day on Facebook ads. Wow, it's crazy. Wow. So that that was the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey. But I also I went to craft shows with my dad. He would sit there for hours with me, and I'd go home and I didn't sell a single plate. Mm. And for some reason, I kept going, and I was still. It was like. It just opened this small door for me. I got my foot in to the taste of being an entrepreneur and I couldn't stop. And that, and I did other things that flopped. Like I was paid hourly to do yearbooking for this random mom. I was like a year, I was a scrapbooker. That was a complete waste of my time. And I learned though through that experience why hourly rates matter. Mm. why you cannot, if you can't speed this up and you can't charge more, you can't do it. It's not a sustainable business. So I'm just at, in my, you know, 16 year old space of a bedroom. I'm destroying my carpet. I actually did a blog post on this, destroyed my parents' carpet being creative. And I remember apologizing like, mom, I'm sorry. Like it's destroyed. The paint's all the way through to the subfloor. Like, sorry. But now I've hired my mom and she's been working for us for six years. And my goal is to get this woman to retirement age mm. and to be able to allow her to be a paid grandma taking care of her grandchildren while I run this business. So my entrepreneurial beginning started in my room as a high schooler and shout out to my parents for letting me pursue it. They truthfully, and I could learn a lot from this. Like my, my daughter this morning threw sequins all over the floor and I'm like, clean it up. And she's like, but it look, it looks like we're in Narnia. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I should learn from my parents. They let me be creative. They let mm. me pursue hard things. They taught me how to pay sales tax on my very, very small amount of profit. And they aren't entrepreneurs themselves, but they were like in the journey with me. And now it has led to a multi-million dollar business that now employs both of them. I employed my dad starting this year and he's doing maintenance work for the school we started for our kids. I mean, it's all encompassing and it started there. What I love about that as well is that you, when you said I would go to craft shows and no one would buy a single thing, nothing. And yet I kept going. Yes. How many people at the first sign of friction, mm -hmm. potential failure or what the world might perceive mm -hmm. as failure? Yes. Stop. Yes. All the time. And, and how much does that still happen to me? Even now. Because I just relaunched something recently that did fine-ish, 
but it wasn't KJ great. Right. It wasn't at my level of what I, it, it did not even get close to hitting the mark. And my team has had to back me away from the ledge of like, Caitlin, you got to keep going. Like you can. So yes, KJ 1.0 kept going when I was failing as a young entrepreneur, but that is a, that's a decision you have to continue to make. It's not a, you failed and you kept going. And that's just who you are, Caitlin, forever as an entrepreneur, you will always keep going. No, I have wanted to stop so many times, Mm -hmm. but I think the foundations of that, you know what that taught me? Sitting at a craft show, selling a $40 plate next to someone selling tie-dyed t-shirts that were 12 bucks. I learned about markets. I learned about audiences. I learned about, I got to find my people. My people weren't at the podunk craft shows. They were buying from boutiques. So I went to a boutique and I started selling to a boutique because that's where people pay 40 bucks for a hand-painted bowl. People at a craft show in the middle of the country don't want a hand-painted bowl. They want something cheap and easy and don't take all my money, right? They didn't appreciate me. So So I think back in the day, I learned lessons like, I've got to find my brand. Who am mm. I? I'm in the wrong place. I'm selling hand painting, hand painted bowls to people that could care less about hand painted bowls. So those failures taught me something, every single one of them. But even to this day, two months ago, I'm still having to revisit the thought of, I've got to choose to start again. That did not go well. Like that launch was not what I wanted it to be. I feel like I'm floundering. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm multi-millionaire business owner and I still am making poor decisions and I'm still not getting it right. But then I try again and I do. Mm, I love that. And from from those beginnings, I don't want to miss the the moment at which so many people really did start to see your progress and like discover you, so to speak. Yes. Which I feel like there have been multiple iterations, but you then moved from that into photography. Yes, in college. In college. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. And, you know, you became a photographer. You worked. So were you doing that while going to school at the same time? Yes. You're taking classes and you're... That's when I started to develop my under eye circles. Stop. That never went away. <laughs> I remember telling my mom, I think I need to go to an eye doctor because for some reason my eyes are so dark. And she's like, honey, you're not sleeping. Oh. That's why. I started shooting oh. headshots on campus. Then I got into weddings and then I, I mean, my college friends would leave and go to like our friend's river house on the weekend and be like, you're coming, right? Mm. And I wouldn't go. I was editing. I was shooting. I was making $2,500 in a day. And um, I remember when my checks would come to that dorm room. We lived in a house, but when it came to the college house, they would be on the table. I'd be like, guys, I just got another deposit. And at the time, the deposit would be anywhere from 250 to 500, maybe even 1500 if they got our big package. And um, my college roommates thought that was insane mm. that I got a check from someone for $1,500 and I was going to be getting more from them once I shot the wedding, like, or right before the wedding. So I remember just, I was living in two worlds. I was living in the carefree college world where you're not responsible for anything and life is just a free for all. Right. And acting like a very responsible small business owner. And I enjoyed it. it there was a tension there for sure. I, and I sacrificed, there's relationships that we still talk about now that like, where were you our junior, senior year? You weren't around and mm. I wasn't, I was working, but I am almost 15 to 20 years ahead of a lot of my peers. There's a cost. A huge cost. There's a cost. Yes. To the headline. Right. Yeah. But to the headline, we love to celebrate. I think very often we don't acknowledge that. Yeah. Because 
I had a very similar experience too. I started my business yes. out of high school and throughout college, you know, I was the one where they just stopped inviting me. Yes. Oh, because yes. they knew I was going to be taking the train home to work. That's every so, single weekend. Isn't that a bummer when you're like, and I'm seeing things that I didn't even get a text about. I used to get a text about these things. And when I would ask, you know, it's like, oh no, but we knew you'd be too busy. Yeah. And, and you have to be like, you're right. I still want to be invited though. I know. But there is a cost. It is. It's a hard cost. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily even go away. It just changes, I think, Mm -hmm. as you grow in business. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yes. Oh, it it definitely. It it evolves into something new. Mm -hmm. And I think what was hard, and I've actually never put these pieces together until now, but I think the sacrifice for me once I got married, it seemed like, well, now all those friends that I'm living with, like the pressure's not right in front of me. But what I didn't realize is that my workaholism and my... You know, and that makes it sound bad. It was bad. I was addicted to getting stuff done, but there's there's a healthy way to do that, and there's a grind and a and a hustle phase that has to happen. Right. I think instead of it being oh, I'm not hanging out with college friends, I wasn't aware of what I was missing out with Michael mm-hmm. in our newlyweds. It was more. It was easier to say, "Hey, I'll be down in an hour to watch our show," and then three hours later, he's in bed, and I'm like. Oh, it's okay. He was tired. But as someone who feels loved by quality time, that was a miss. And I didn't realize it was a miss until we had extreme disconnection because that was our pattern. One more minute turns into 30. Just a quick, I need like an hour and then I'll be done. And then he's moved on to something else. Like he's in bed or he's, he's like, I'm just going to go like meet my family, do something. We went through years of, of that, And where he very clearly didn't feel like the priority. I mean, I said once, I don't think we should go on vacation. Like, I'll just get so behind. And to this day, that comes up, that conversation comes up. And we've spent five, six years pouring into our marriage because, not because anything got scary close. Like, we were never, nothing serious was going to happen. But it was serious in that underlying, he didn't feel important because my business was so important. And so that is, that's a sacrifice I made and I'm not proud of that sacrifice. There's other sacrifices I am proud of. Like, you know, I am consistent and I stayed with my systems and they paid off. Mm. Super proud of that. Not proud of when it started to affect my family. So can you grow something this big and just have to say like, I'm just going to be unhealthy if I'm going to have something as big as what she's built. No, I think there were ways that I could have been more aware because I'm doing it now. Right. I'm, and I, yes, it's at scale, but I'm constantly innovating and I'm still creating content and I'm still doing things, but it does look very different than she works four hours a day and there she yet a multimillionaire just happened. It's like, no, there's a lot of backstory there. Well, when you brought up, you know, you even had a moment where you were like, I can't go, we, we shouldn't go on vacation because I'm going to fall behind. Yes. When you're saying that, I, I got the feeling that you were thinking that's something that you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. That's a universal. I hear it all the time in the work that I do. Yes. I hear business owners all the time. I just saw our friend Hope post. I just almost saw this. took her laptop on I, her honeymoon. She almost took her laptop on her honeymoon. So proud of you, Hope, that you didn't do that. I'm so proud of you. But all of your older sisters would be like, girlfriend, don't <laughs> yeah. do what we did. We'll, we'll call you out on that if yes. you do it. But the truth is, every business owner, I, I believe, is, even in yes. seasons of success, mm-hmm. it is hard for us 
to find the line between where the business starts and ends and where we start and end. It is hard for us to feel like we can put it down. It is hard because when it isn't just a job, meaning I'm not just clocking in and clocking out, Mm -hmm. but it's a piece of my identity. Mm -hmm. It's linked to my greater purpose. Yes. I see it being a legacy I'm going to leave behind. Mm -hmm. That's hard. It is hard. It's, It's almost easier to say, I'm just going to have this nine to five job that pays the bills, but at least my identity is separate. Mm. How do you do this whole thing where your purpose in a lot of ways, no, I'm a mother and that is my deep, that's my calling in life. But I also have another calling. I, I have, I'm like a multifaceted purposeful person, which we all are. How do you run a business that impacts lives and does have a part of who you are built into it? Right. It, it sometimes seems like, well, maybe I should just do something I don't care about that deeply because this mm. is so hard to balance. I get it. I yeah. lived it. It's one of the pain points that the article didn't hit on. And it couldn't hit on that, right? Right. right. That's the, the whole thing about the article was it was my first introduction to the world of, hey, guys, my business is bigger <laughs> than you think. Oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. But should I be embarrassed? No. no. But part of not being embarrassed is explaining I worked so hard to get here. Right. And the sacrifice was deep and it was wide and I can't fit all that into an article. So, and it can so quickly lead to burnout. Yes. Is that something that you have experienced in your business? Yes. Let's talk about it. Many times. I, I think my burnout in my business, it's happened multiple times, but there was one season where it was intense to the point where I said, I have nothing left to give. Oh, like I have nothing left in me. And that was two years ago. It was in August. Actually, I was feeling this way leading up to it. So August is the month that I decided to take off. My coach was basically like, you aren't allowed to say definitely I have nothing left to give when you haven't created a space to even determine if that's true. And, and during the season of burnout, what I realized was that burnout came from believing a lot of reoccurring thoughts, soundtracks, patterns in my life that weren't necessarily true. So like, for example, one storyline that I told myself was it's all on me. It is Mm. all on me. My whole family depends on me. If I don't create something new, everyone's going to suffer. My my mom and dad's health insurance. Like if my mom is going to be able to pay for her foot surgery, which she desperately needs, the health insurance bill comes to me and the business pays. Like it is an incredible amount of pressure. And I let that just overtake me. And then my our coach was so great. She was like, Caitlin, let's just unravel that one soundtrack that you have. Is it actually true? I'm like, yes. It's called Caitlin James Photography. It's true. It's my face. I have to show up. And she said, do you know how to log into the back end of your business? And I said, no. And she said, so you're probably selling courses right now as we're talking. If that system breaks or disconnects or something, are you going to fix it? And she was like, I, I, and I said, no, I'm, I don't even know how to, but it's my sister's job. She's like, right. So is it true that it is a hundred percent on you? The way you make money, is that all on you? It's actually not accurate, but it is a story that I believed because my brain wants to prove that I'm right. Mm. Like I, because then I get to sit in the victim story, like, woe is me. I don't know what else to do, but that I got stuck there for so long and I needed someone to help me unravel what is true and what is not and that was not true so then I moved on to the next story and the next story that I made up that was not true was that people have such high expectations of me and I can't live up to them so when she told me when our coach was like just you need to take a month off minimum month-long sabbatical do not work you need this 
Your body is telling you, your mind is telling you, you need this. So I took a month off and I thought our students are going to be so upset. I'm not going to be in the Facebook group. I'm not going to be responding to their comments. I'm not going to create content for them. Our YouTube stats are going to plummet. I'm not, I believed all these things. Well, what else could be possible? Well, everyone in our community praised me. (laughs) The thing that I thought was going to make me seem like I don't care was the thing that my audience needed from me. They started Mm. saying things like, I needed to see you take a break because I watch everything you do. You work so hard. You giving, you giving yourself a break gave me permission to take a break. So, so the full story of burnout for me is that you can sit in this place of, I've got nothing left to give. And in the very statement of saying, I've got nothing left to give. The reality is me listening to what I needed was releasing freedom for an entire community of people and releasing freedom to me. I came back from that month off with so many ideas that my team was overwhelmed with me. They left. I walked away them being like, oh, she's losing it. She's done. This, we're going to shut the whole ship down. And, um, and I came back on fire again. And, and I, it just goes to show like our minds are powerful. We can convince ourselves of absolutely anything. And then we subconsciously look for ways to confirm that we are true, that we're right about all of our thoughts about ourselves. And if you just step away for a minute, you start to realize there's a lot more there. Mm. I wasn't done. I was quite honestly, I think I'm just getting started. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Confirmation bias is so powerful. You're hundred percent right. You will find what you look for. Yes. And if you are looking for evidence, a t-shirt, you you will. Yeah. If you're looking for evidence for why you're falling behind or falling short or Mm -hmm. not able to live up to these expectations that I call it the shoulds. I hate the word should, what you should be, how you should be. Yes. Shaming. You're going to see it everywhere. You're going to see evidence for that everywhere. But the Mm -hmm. same is true of the opposite as well. Yes. Right? Oh, it, it, the same it, is true as the, of the opposite. Yes. We were recently talking about this with our, our communities freaking out about AI. Right? right. Yes. And so I'm trying to help in, our, in my personal growth. This has been the story of my life. As I grow personally, I just duplicate that into who I'm pouring into as a mm-hmm. business owner. Um, so it's interesting is when you're burned out, you're normally not growing. Correct. So then when you're not growing, you have no content to share. It's just a vicious cycle and you have to stay healthy in order to be able to health, be a healthy leader. So they're talking about AI and I just did a podcast episode where I talked about how the opportunity that AI gives us is an opportunity to check your mindset. Because for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, looking at this stuff, I'm like, yeah, I think our industry is going down the hole. Like it's going to be trash. Like, um, but then I realized, you know what, what if another possibility, another soundtrack to believe would be that AI is going to make people desperate for authenticity. And what am I good at? What have people said that I'm good at? I mean, I hope I'm good at it. People have said before that authenticity is one of the reasons why they love learning from me. So if authenticity is going to be the rarity in our industry, Mm. then maybe there's actually a lot of opportunity for growth. But that mindset about just a simple concept like AI, it comes back to where's your headspace? And, and do you have the tools to be able to break down these soundtracks, these lies that you're believing? So one of the greatest things I've learned as a business owner that's growing and innovating and burning out and then coming back is the tool of being able to parent my own thoughts, to take your thoughts captive, which we've, we've talked about before. Like how can you actually grab hold of a thought and not let it spiral? Right. 
And that sounds, I'm not going down the train of like, just manifest whatever you want, it will happen. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a human being that is driven has to be a human being that can control what happens up here. Mm. We are in control. I know sometimes in rare circumstances, you get in a loop. We've experienced that in our own family. Right. Where you need some help to get the loop back on trap. Yes, you've got to have help. So there are some situations where it gets out of control. But for me... I had the power to pull myself back in mm. and I needed someone to teach me how to do that. And I, and they did. So crazy. I love that. And with the AI thing too, I mean, it's, it's so interesting. I was listening to you speak recently about the, so now, you know, we talked about you built a wedding photography business. Caitlin actually photographed my wedding for folks back that don't know the, way back, back 10 years ago. We just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. Okay. I have, Can this is, this that? is an idea I have. Don't lose your train of thought. I'm like, that was so long ago. I look at your bridal details. something. They're beautiful, but they're way too warm. You've I'm said gonna, this a couple times. I'm going to re-edit no, them for you. I am. Absolutely not. I'm going to do it for a YouTube episode. I'm going to be like, have one of the like, AI tools do it. Have Imagine AI do it. Perfect. We'll partner with them and great make it happen. Great content for YouTube. That's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. No. It was a beautiful day. It, it was, was a great day, but that was 10 years ago. So you built this amazing, you know, photography business. You moved into education. Yes. You've been doing education. And that really is kind of the, the core of where this article came from. You've experienced these seasons of burnout, but you really have built something exceptional. Yeah. And I remember reading something, there's like two things I want to touch on. One, you said, you know, this education world, it changes every six months. Every six months, there is something new coming out. Yes. And I think that we often overlook the need as independent business owners to be open to change. Oh, it's hard. It is hard. And AI really became, you know, it almost, I think, illuminated for us not that change is an inevitable part of life because we know that if you run a business you know that yes but that the rate of change the pace of change is about to accelerate to a degree that perhaps we've never experienced before yes like do you remember when we were photographing weddings back in the beginning and we needed a map to get to the wedding yes and if you don't have your printed out map how are you going to get there you couldn't yeah. And then we got MapQuest directions. We sound old. We do. We sound ancient. But you could at one point you could actually print out the street by street turns. But yes. if you missed an intersection, oh yeah, good luck. Your heart would. I would be sweating. Yes, I would be shaking. I was like, that's I'm gonna where be late. our anxiety came from. That is. It was that MapQuest. explains so much. <laughs> MapQuest. I'm, MapQuest. I'm going to send you a bill for my therapy, mm. my last round of therapy. But but the truth is, like, I never could have fathomed at that point that I would have a cell phone in my pocket that would not only route me to oh the place gosh. I'm going. But then if there's a speed yes. trap, it would tell me. Oh. If there's traffic, it would give me a different way to get there. My point being, yes. change is inevitable. Oh, yes. And the rate of it's increasing, but the mindset you have about it is what I'm hearing from yes. you. It's the mindset and what you're telling yourself, whether it's AI, whether it's mm-hmm. new tech tools, whether it's yeah. new equipment that's coming out. Oh, it is so easy. It's easy to default to fear. Yes. Because fear is rooted in self-protection. And, and we are, as humans, we want to self-protect. And so instead, so we, it's got to be a choice. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that choose to trust and to be innovative first. Our mind goes, my mind went to fear first. I'm like, if I shoot a wedding at Big Spring and my clients are like, I want an AI generated Rocky Mountain background, not Blue Ridge Mountain background. I mean, if people start doing that, then how's Buddy, who owns the business, owns a wedding venue, what's he going to do when people come and say, where are these mountains? Right. That's crazy. That was my first thought. Interesting. But now 
now that I've set, taken a step back, I'm like, how can I use this? And mm. not in negative ways, in positive ways. Of There's got to be a way. And that's when I had the thought of like, if people are going to start craving authenticity, then maybe our art as photographers will actually be something people seek out. I think there will be people that will say, no, I want it to really look like my wedding genuinely we've seen that throughout history if you even think about the fact that gen z loves record players and film cameras yes and they're even like now there are even digital cameras that are coming out that create digital images that automatically look like film to give you the my point being like we do crave what is real we We will always crave what is real and so i also err on the side of believing that where ai is going to be really beautiful this is what i tell myself Mm -hmm. is that it's going to allow us to be more human Yes. What it will actually do yes. is give us, if we choose, yes. and we have to, this is also why we've got to be leaning into it because it doesn't just, we're not at a stage where it's creating itself. Humans right. are creating it. Right. So if you're not engaging with new technology, you're also not able to lead the conversations about it. You're not able right. to react and help build it. But the point being that my hope is AI is going to be something that actually enables us to be more human. And those business owners and independents in particular, while certain jobs will change, while the roles mm-hmm. we do day to day will shift right. and they already are, are shifting, right. the experiences that we create, the beauty and the humanness that only we can offer this world will be even more valuable. Oh, 100%. Yes. And if you start to view it from that perspective, it's exciting. It's not intimidating. Right. Right. It is exciting. I mean, yes. even, gosh, we're announcing, you know, or we just announced by the time this, this comes out that, you know, our, our development team at HoneyBook has been building AI tools. And one of the tools that they've been working on now for over a year is a predictive leads tool where oh. our technology can actually tell you what leads are going to book you before you've even responded to them. Oh and my gosh. like when I tell you, so like a predictive lead can tell you it's like two times more profitable if we flag it 30%, the, the stat is just, uh, we'll link it in the show notes. But my point being, it's also going to help you as the business owner to stop having to do things that you shouldn't be doing. Like you right. talked about systems multiple times yes. and how you've built this. Yes. Yes. And I want to lean into that a little bit too. Yes. I heard a little rumor mm-hmm. and by that, I mean, I, I know when you launched your first course, yes. Now you had been building systems to do this, yes. And that's what I want to make sure we click on here mm-hmm. for years and years and years. But when you launched your first course, mm-hmm. I heard you did over uh, you did six figures on your first course oh, launch. Yes, in a weekend. I think we did like seventy grand in the first like few hours. Wow. It was insane. And this was not recently. This was 2015. Okay. Maybe even 2014. So back in the day, that was big money back then. It was it's pretty unheard of money. at that point. Yes. To oh, do that on a course launch. Oh, it was unheard of. And I, I mean, I was shocked. I, I mean, I joke about my dad opened the door. I'm like, daddy, I think I made $70,000 like in the last hour. And he's like, you've been duped. You, 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 this is not real. People can't do that. Right. But that came from, I always tell people that want to be educators you have to either be, you, well, there's two things, the two, two, two G's. You've got to, got to be great at what you do. You've got to master it. You've got to be amazing, exceptionally great at what you do. Um, because if you don't do exceptionally well, you don't have content to share that's going to innovate and help. You're just going to regurgitate what someone else is already ta- teaching. So you've got to be great at what you do and you have to be able to give. Mm. And if you're able to give and you enjoy giving, if you are a giver, you will be an extremely successful educator. And that's what I did for eight years. I was consistently blogging and giving and giving for free. And I loved it. Like I would leave a wedding and I'm like, how could I put into a really 
catchy something like why my posing works power praise precision three p's of posing i put in a blog post and i like i thrived off of creating content like that and so i did that for so long for it so consistently that the photographers that were learning from me when i came out with that course and i offered them a chance to pay me back for what they had learned I mean, it was a no-brainer. We, No one was upset with that course. No one complained. Everyone was just so grateful. And um, I remember having a lot of thoughts like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And one of my good friends, Amy Demos, was like, you're getting paid for years of giving with no payment. Mm. Like you're finally getting reimbursed for your giving heart. And at first I didn't believe her, but, but as we've moved away from that season, I'm like, I do think that's what happened. And so being the perfectionist that I am, I moved away from that season. Like, how can we make the next one better? How can we make the next, how can we give some more and giving right in the season we're in now, our new lead generation is because Tyler said, Caitlin, you need a YouTube channel. And so he built together. I mean, it's my face, but it's his system, but we built a YouTube channel and that has allowed me to reach and give and give and give. And that is brought a new sense of direction to what we do as far as education, because um, we were lost for a season. We had a season of, I had all these children, (laughs) so grateful for them and I love them. Um, But I lost, I lost the way I gave. I was giving to my children. Mm. I still do, but I couldn't figure out how to give to the community. I couldn't find time to blog. I couldn't find time to get, so YouTube has created a way for me to go back to my roots and give again. And guess what has happened? Numbers have skyrocketed. Reciprocity is one of the most powerful foundational principles. Mm -hmm. You know, when you give somebody something, you're immediately initiating that relationship. And, you know, we all know like, know, and trust is so critical to purchasing decisions, but it's, it's as simple as that. You, you had such success in that initial course launch. Yes, because the material was great. Mm-hmm. Yes, because you built the systems. You had the email list going. You had set the foundation. Mm-hmm. And you had given for years and yes. years and years and years and showed up and blogged and, and shared what you were knowing. And also, you know, we didn't even touch on this, but that's during a season when that was not the norm in oh, our industry. No, it was no. the opposite. Right. It was. So when I first started, we actually just found a note from my first one of my first computers that my mom's using now, <laughs> it was a note where I had literally a sticky note on a Mac laptop where I had written out 2009 goals. 2009. And 2009. So I was a year into business. Okay. And I mean, you could tell I was literally, this was just a note for myself. And I was using exclamation marks like, just want to make sure you see how excited I am. Like, <laughs> I was crazy. So anyway, I look at this list and there's hilarious things. Like I wanted a window decal for my car. That's how I thought marketing was going to happen. I mean, poor Caitlin, we can laugh at it now. So I wanted a window decal, but I also wanted to shoot 35 weddings Mm. and I wanted to host workshops and I wanted to, so my, I had a vision back then of things that I, it's like, I knew I could go somewhere. I just didn't know where I was going. Mm. And, um, I was doing workshops and I thought, okay, if I could do 25,000 per workshop four times a year, that's a six figure business within a business. And I just kept creating those different revenue streams. And I I look at that goals list now and I think to myself like, wow, I've come so far. But when I started doing those workshops, when I started offering to teach, that's when I started getting pushback from the current industry leaders. Mm. People were industry leaders because they were famous. They weren't industry leaders because they were givers. 
that that's a huge shift. So sweet friend, sweet friend of mine, but she was 10 years ahead of me in photography. She would say to me, Oh, you're getting into that workshop thing and roll her eyes. Like you're going to give. And now I'm like, I'm like, yep. Got into that workshop thing and it really paid off Mm. and I've changed people's lives. I wasn't just pursuing fame for myself. And I, and, and that's what, that's the legacy that I want. And so it's, I've said this before and I feel like I'm rambling, but I just get so excited about this stuff. I think there's something so beautiful when you can take your passion, like photography, your gift, and then pair it with changing people's lives and then see some profit from it and then see an overarching purpose in your life. That is the beautiful gift I've been given in what I'm doing. And I'm constantly trying to seek out how does that evolve into the next, like what's my purpose in the next season? What's the gift that I'm going to share with the world next and change people's lives. So reciprocity, giving in a time where giving wasn't cool, Mm -hmm. pushing the envelope, doing that was actually, it's sad, but it was actually innovative back in 2009 to share what you knew. It was very, it was controversial. Yes. Like innovative is making it sound palatable. Yes. It was controversial. People were upset. Oh yes. Because we were going to change an industry. Mm -hmm. They, what they didn't realize is the industry was going to change no matter what. So if they had latched on to the there are still people in this city right now that are still doing things the same old way and i mean you can be a successful photographer and still help your fellow peer in the industry are you going to build a multi-million dollar education business maybe not but you could support your family in a new way and make friends just worth it to be nice just be a nice person (laughs) I I agree I even would go as far as to say I think the independent business owners who build their business on a foundation of showing up and supporting one another will be the ones that stand the test of time and we've seen this I mean you look through even the last couple of years you know we've had a pandemic season we're now experiencing a recessionary period in the economy Mm -hmm. we've had hurdle after hurdle and struggle after struggle business and personal all of us yes and I remember very, very vividly when it was like March 10th, 2020, Mm -hmm. and the world was suddenly shutting down. And our world, the service-based business world, suddenly goes, oh, wait, there's going to be no services because there's going to be no no events. And there was immediate panic. And what I witnessed in that moment was this coming together, this moment of, okay, what are we going to do? And we, I mean, we dropped everything. We we actually, we all took pay cuts at HoneyBook. The whole company agreed to take pay cuts so not a single person would get laid off, even though our members weren't making money. Because again, the beautiful thing about this business is HoneyBook only wins when businesses win. If businesses don't win, we don't win. And that is an ethical alignment that I am so passionate about. So when all of the business revenue got cut off, Mm -hmm. as a company, we said, we're going to take pay cuts because we don't want to, if we can avoid it, we're going to do whatever we we have to do. And we're going to stop business as usual. And we literally, I started asking, I, I started going to different community leaders and saying, okay, what can we offer? And we had you know, a finance expert, Dominique Broadway, coming on and talking about, okay, if you're strapped for cash, here are your options. Stuff she charges thousands yes. of dollars to yes. teach, yes. she was giving for free. Paige Griffith coming yes. in with, okay, you need you know, this specific type of clause now for your contract. To protect yourself, yes. And we had never even heard of a force majeure at that point. Right. None of us were like, right. force majeure, what, what does that word? mean? What language is that? <laughs> and she went as far as to say, give it away. Yes. Give it all away because mm-hmm. we are in this together. Yes. Because even if you compete with me, mm-hmm. we are also, and more importantly, perhaps yes. a community. Yes. And it's that spirit. And it goes back to like, you know, someone could twist your words and say, you have to make money. You can't just give and give and give. And you're right. You, right. But 
what you're, but the heart of what you're saying is, is that, and it's what I'm saying. If you live to give, Mm. you are going to expand your business and you're going to grow. It's just a natural consequence of having a heart that that is natured that way. And so I love that. I didn't know that about HoneyBook, but I love that. I mean, yeah. We love HoneyBook. We love them even more when you tell stories like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to I want to take a, a little bit of a step towards a conversation that we actually chatted about prior to turning the cameras on, and it's about pressure. Oh, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure <laughs> yes. because I can only imagine, you know, yes, you've had phenomenal business success. You have a seven-figure business. You're doing multi-seven-figure business. Mm-hmm. We're not talking like you just hit a million. You right. Multi-seven-figure business, recurring streams of revenue. Mm-hmm. How many team members do you have now? It's a good question. So myself, yeah, my sister is the CEO, mm-hmm. runs the whole thing. Right. I mean, she <laughs> can't live without her. My sister-in-law, Morgan, she literally looks just like me, I but she's not related to me technically. She, she runs so much of the back end and customer support. Um, We have a part-time employee, Casey, who does community development. And then Michael is a part of it, but he has removed himself a lot because we started a micro school for our children that celebrates entrepreneurial um, beginnings, which is awesome. That's a whole other conversation. So Michael's removed himself a little bit, but he was doing a lot of funny. He's still doing some financial things. Tyler, he technically, we should put his face on the website. Uh, he's not a salaried employee, but he could be. He's like, all right, okay, okay, I've been saying this for years. But he is the reason we have a YouTube channel. He's the reason that our courses get filmed and filmed well. And he's very much a team member. And then we have some contracted employees that serve things like, um, you know, ad strategy and management, things like that. But when it comes to just our team, it's still small and mighty, but they get paid very well. And there's right. some people that have said, oh, you're killing it you can just shut this down like whenever you want. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. Cause you see numbers, but you don't see how much it costs and you don't Mm. see the health insurance package. You don't see, you know, the, there are costs that come with hiring people Mm -hmm. and the pressure is, and I was just talking with a friend about this. The pressure is that I have built something at a scale to where I can't just say, I don't want to do this anymore. It affects my family. It, It affects everybody. And, you know, we joke, my brother and my brother-in-law and sister are building a house right next to us in the woods. And we sold some of our land to them and it's beautiful. And, um, and I told my sister, I'm like, something I have to fight is as they, every time I see a construction truck go down your driveway, sometimes I have thoughts of like the business got to keep going because they have a new mortgage. Mm. Like that's, those are the things that I think about. And I've gotten to a place where I handle it in a much healthier way than I used to because of my ability to catch the stories before they spiral. But I, I think I am trying to live into the I get to and not the I have I have to's. And and if God's been faithful for 14 years, it might not look like the same income it always has. It might fluctuate and dip. But I'm I know I can trust that my business mind's not going to just shut down one day and not ever produce anything profitable again. But this is the tricky part. I feel like I'm flip-flopping back and forth from the positive to the negative. The The tricky part is when you build a multi-million dollar business, if you want to pivot it and you want to do something else, it's not going to be a multi-million dollar pivot waiting for you. It's going to be at the beginning again. Mm. And I can't shut down and I don't want to. But if you talk to any business owner at this level that doesn't want to be acquired, 
I don't have, I can't be acquired. I maybe could, but I don't want to be. If you want to keep the legacy going over here, but you want to build something else, this has to keep going to pay the team that's running it. And it's at a scale where it can't just be like cut in half. Right. So, that's my struggle. Well, you almost have to side hustle your way into new ventures. Yes. Which I am. Which I love. Coming back to the CNBC article on side hustles. <laughs> yes. no, maybe it is a side hustle. Maybe, I didn't realize it. Maybe they were right or more correct than we thought. Yeah. No, I, um, I, it's, it's so true. And I think, you know, that pressure is something that personally, like in my own journey has really been a challenge because you know, we talked about that fountain of inspiration and creativity and, mm-hmm. you know, the brain can't be both creative and open-minded and terrified and feeling it, the pressure at the right. same time. Right. It's the, I think it's happen. the greatest challenge in an entrepreneur's mind mm. between the two. How can you be the person innovating and creating and the person run by fear? You can't have both. That's hard. It is hard. But it's so deeply universal. It's so oh, universally it's experienced. Human. Yeah. It's, it's so human. And, and I, none of my great ideas have come from a place where I was sitting down with a notebook fretting about, is the next launch going to be six figures or not? Are we going to be able to bring on that new person we need to bring on? Do we have to cut back here? None of my ideas that have made me money came from places of fear. It's come from places of, I, oh, there's, it's just flowing. It's just flowing. I'm not thinking anything about the money. I'm thinking about what's the, what is the need and how mm. can I serve people? And that's how I make money. But if I focus on the money, the money doesn't come. That right there might be the golden lesson in entrepreneurship. Yeah. We can shut it all down. We're done. We can, we're done. That's all we needed. The whole podcast is over. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, the need, because you even at one point were like, you didn't want to launch presets. Yes. I didn't want to launch presets. But why, why did you, what was like the indicator that the market was begging for it? You, um, our consultant said, he's like, I'm doing some research and SEO wise, the number two search result on Google for Caitlin James is Caitlin James presets. So think about it. all these people, potentially hundreds a day right. are searching for your presets and coming up with nothing. Mm. So why don't you pay attention to what people need and want from you instead of thinking about, you know, Oh, I don't know. I was Sometimes we can be a little prideful. <laughs> I'm like, everyone does presets. I don't want to do presets. And I truthfully did. I do have a standard for myself that I don't want to replicate just what everyone else is doing. I really struggle with that um, to the point where it's probably a fault in, in my business mind. But I, um, I wanted to do presets differently. And so I took some time and I reached out to my, my best friend, Jill, helped me develop because she's done this before. Um, and I just created an approach to presets that t- it's different. It's not a one click. It's a four step process that teaches people the power of step-by-step manual editing, but it automates it. It's very interesting. So I launched that, put it out in the world thinking, oh, here we go. We'll see what happens. $500,000 in the month of November, the year we launched half a million dollar product. That's a, this is what's crazy. That's a business in and of itself. Correct. The preset process could be a standalone business. And I didn't want to do it because I had all these crazy lies. I was believing about, oh, that's not my thing. Oh my gosh. I am, I'm a hot mess of an entrepreneur. That's what I am. (laughs) You're an entrepreneur, period. Because this is why this is so important. Because this is what. This is the wrestle of it. This is the real. This Mm -hmm. is what it's really like. And Mm -hmm. so many business owners see the CNBC headline and keep scrolling with their day saying, well, that's great for her, but she's not feeling what we've talked about for the last 40 minutes in this conversation. Oh, yes. I feel it all. And that's part of like what inspires the work I do. I'm like, we need to normalize these conversations to lift each other up and know that 
this is all part of the process. Mm-hmm. The showing up to a craft show with your plates and having no one buy a single one, mm-hmm. showing up to a book signing and having no one show. I mean, I had like five people show up to one once. Yes. And, you know, it's so easy to get defeated. But then mm-hmm. I also remember seeing a picture of John Acuff share, has shared this a couple of times. Yes, I love it when he shares that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where he's sitting in an empty And he looks room. like someone just like ran over his dog. It's so sad. It is so sad. And then he's speaking on stage in front of thousands. It's about the journey and it's about being able to Mm -hmm. pursue it and never give up. There is one question I end every episode by asking. And and there's no right or wrong answer, but it it is such a question that I love because I think it reveals how each of us interprets success in our businesses. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be really curious to know for you, Caitlin, what do you think is the thing that differentiates the businesses that succeed from the ones that fail? You really end with a a hard one. I think the businesses that succeed in, from my perspective, I think they have vision beyond the bottom line. Mm. I think they have purpose and, and maybe statistically this would prove me wrong, right? Cause there's always people that can have a business with no heart and people are, you know, duped into buying from something that they don't really believe in. And I'm sure there's exceptions, but that also goes back to, well, what is success? Because success for me, someone said recently, um, we buy raw milk from this farm out in Lexington, um, Creambrook Farms. And we were actually with the owner the other day and we were talking about business and he's like, it seems like everybody just, when did business become about acquisition? He's like, when did that become a thing? You build a business just to get it sold and make a lot of money. He's like, I thought you built a business to serve your family and to serve your life and to do something you're passionate about, make money doing it. And I'm like, you're right. You are so right. And so if that is success, then it does have to be rooted in purpose and how you're changing people's lives, which is all rooted in the vision of it. So maybe I am right. Maybe this, maybe this is what I truly believe. I do think that it has, you have to have a vision that goes beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. And if that is true, then people attach onto that. And sometimes I think people attach onto that before they even know why they're attracted to you. We've had people say this before. They, they will say things like, I found you on YouTube and I don't know why, but I just keep watching all your stuff. And then they'll see one video or hear me explain one thing. And they're like, I resonate with you. Thank you for caring about what you're doing. Mm. And I do, I think that is at the heart of a business owner. I think ultimately it's when their purpose aligns with their passion, which is what I aim to do with the rest of my business running years. And what's funny is that that is truly the mission statement, like a life built on passion and purpose is literally a mission statement that we have and Mm -hmm. we hold very dear this has been so incredible and i just want to thank you for sharing so vulnerably being open i have no doubt that listeners are going to want to connect with you further where are some of the places that they can go to learn about everything that we've talked about today where can they find you that's a great question so i always preface this with like if you want the tech but non-tech version of kj with photography education that is very youtube heavy so we have a YouTube channel that we love um, and are, you know, consistently putting new content on. Instagram is where you see the most real life, our children, our family, our life, what we're learning, our marriage. And the podcast is where I get to talk about all things business and life and where the kind of the beautiful collision of all those worlds come into play. So there's a podcast, Instagram, there's YouTube, and it has been an honor 
I love you. I've loved you since I met you years and years ago, since I got to shoot your wedding. This has just been, I'm proud of you for what you're doing and for the ways that you're using your passion. It is evident that this is what you love. And that's what we're talking about, finding your passion and changing the world with it. So I'm honored that I got to be a part of it. Oh, Caitlin, thank you so much. We will link all of that in our show notes. And I just, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're welcome. You're welcome. That ends our episode of the Independent Business Podcast. Everything that we've discussed today can be found at podcast.honeybook.com. Head to our website for access to show notes, relevant links, and all of the resources that you need to level up. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss our future content. Drop us a review and leave our guests some love on social. Thanks again for listening.